0: Welcome to episode 1919 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I'm joined, as always, by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, how are you?
1: Well, I have even worse news than I had last time about the minor league free agent draft results. Oh, <laughs> so no. Am I getting started fired? Started last episode. No. I mean, <laughs> your numbers are the same as they were yesterday, which is not good news, but it's not any worse than it was. Uh-huh. As I recapped, our clocks were cleaned by Ben Clemens, Yeah. Who thoroughly trounced us but not only that there was a control group I don't know if you recall there was a randomly selected (laughs) group of minor league free agent draftees this was the second time that we did this a a listener did it for us just at random selected some minor league free agents I believe it was Thomas Burton a Patreon supporter who did this and guess what
0: that group did better too yeah
1: we got beat by the random number (laughs) generator (laughs) so If it's any consolation, the random number generator only picked two players who ended up getting major league playing time, but they still amassed more playing time than our three players apiece did. So Randy, the random number generator, picked Spencer Watkins, who got 468 combined plate appearances in batter's face, and then Narciso Crook, who got nine. And that was enough to edge out me, edge out both of us. So... Boy, it's, uh doesn't reflect well on us if we can't beat the random number generator. We're like the we're the in-venue odds of the, of the minor wow. league free, free agent draft.
0: Wow. No, see, it's different, Ben, because we weren't confident in our success.
1: That's true. We never professed to be good at this. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: remember when? We did the InVenue interview. That was I wild. Do.
1: Yeah, it was.
0: <laughs> uh, I think about that every now and again. I was like, Yeah, it's one of the weirder couple hour stretches of my Is it life.
1: Possible that we're not using enough variables in our model. Maybe we need hundreds more variables.
0: You know, I think that much like our friends at InVenue, my issue might be uh, an overly complex model. Maybe that explains it. <laughs> You're I overfitting. Take... Yeah. yeah, I need to get. I need to get back to basics. so. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's humbling. So we'll lick our wounds and, and come back strong next year.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'll say this: we'll come back next year. Yeah, you know,
1: <laughs> whether it's strong or not.
0: Yeah, what state <laughs> we're in, we're not going to make any promises again. Like we are aware of our limitations and mm-hmm. the uh, baseline difficulty of the exercise. So yeah. you know, we'll come back, and I don't, we'll just see. Maybe I maybe I will draft via random minor league generator and uh <laughs> see how it goes you know maybe we'll do a little experiment
1: yeah i'm gonna go with the aaron boone Luis severino defense here i think the fact that the roof was open when we drafted that's why we <laughs> lost i think they just they got lucky the random number generator and ben clemens they both got lucky and that's why we're we're down 0-2 in our series to ben clemens and the random number generator
0: isn't it funny how when it's when it's you complaining about something that happened in your life, you feel <laughs> righteous and when other people do it you feel like they're being big babies. Isn't that funny <laughs> how that works out? Yeah. Cause you know, I bet the roof and, and the wind and the this and the that did did have an effect. Yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, the idea that The other team didn't have to deal with that uh, same set of effects. Seems (laughs) sort of silly. It is funny for a team that plays in Yankee Stadium to complain about how park factors (laughs) might impact...
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, not that it is quite the Little League park that, that former Rangers manager Chris Woodward called it, possibly tongue-in-cheek. I guess yeah. we've got a new Rangers manager to talk about today. Oh, yeah, I guess we do. But yes, and I'm, I'm pro-excuses. I think we should normalize making excuses as long as they're valid excuses. Sure. Baseball people they never want to make excuses or at least they do but then they immediately just disclaim any like claim to making excuses right. they're always like I'm not here to make excuses you know it's like uh, half I our were, team was on yeah, yeah right half our team was injured and you know all this other stuff happened but I'm not here to make excuses <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just gonna mention all the excuses I'm not making them I'm just gonna throw them out there <laughs> yeah. but sometimes excuses are valid yeah. It's just that, like, it it doesn't sound gracious. It doesn't sound sportsperson-like, I guess. Yeah. And and we just had a long conversation earlier this week about how random the playoffs are and, and, like, how much luck is involved in random variation. Like, you can say in most postseason series they got lucky, and it's usually true to some extent. It's just that, like— when we say it about them, right? It's a little bit different than when they come out and say it about themselves.
0: Yeah, like I agree. I think it's funny that they're like, "I don't want to make excuses, but there was a ghost." <laughs> 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 ah, you know, we were we were so afraid because there was a ghost. It's just, it is a spooky season, Ben. I think we're officially at that point in October where my baseline level of fatigue becomes apparent <laughs> to people who aren't me, and I don't offer that as an excuse, but I'm just here to tell you. <laughs>
1: that yeah, that's yeah, right. Out. Just going to mention that it's not there's, an excuse. Yeah. Ah, no. There's a
0: ghost in here. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the Yankees lost again. The Astros are two nothing. Yeah, they can't are can't be beaten or they haven't been beaten. At least they're just going to run the table all October. It looks like. And yeah. this was another close game. It was yeah. certainly a winnable game for the Yankees and and a yes. frustrating loss to some extent. And three two. Obviously, it it could have gone the other way. And yeah. Luis Severino was citing specifically, so he gave up a three-run homer to Alex Bregman and Aaron Judge hit a ball that would have been gone in Yankee Stadium and just was caught with a leaping catch at the warning track. And Severino said, Bregman hit it 91 miles per hour. That's the only thing I'm going to say. Then he continued. (laughs) And Judge hit it at 106 miles per hour and it didn't go out. I don't know. They got lucky. Which, look, I mean, it's true, I suppose, that these things like yeah. you hit a ball one way in one park it goes out and you hit it one way in another park and it does you know like you're playing in houston and and I, that wasn't like a total crawford boxes gift homer like sometimes there's some cheapies over there but that one i think according to the Woodit dong twitter <laughs> account <laughs> which is wonderful partly because it's named wooded dong but also for other reasons
0: i mean let's be let's be real that's like 90 percent of why it's wonderful and like a big part that's yeah. a <laughs> <laughs> <It's a big laughs> you're really putting big and dog in the same uh, sentence, Ben. You're, you're comfortable park. with those choices. You're like, these are good.
1: Friday podcast. Uh, so the Would It Dog Twitter account said that that would have been a home run in 25 out of 30. MLB would have parks. donged. Yes, without taking into account the roof being opened or the wind or whatever. Right. And it said that the judge Homer would have been a Homer in two. Parks, I believe. yeah I, and I, I think assume s- Yankee Stadium being one of them. But Yeah,
0: and I think st- the official stat cast determination was just just one. Sometimes uh-huh. sometimes statcast and wooded dong <laughs>
1: disagree.
0: They have Yes. they dong beef.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is the, the paper of record when it comes to those things. Is yeah, it, it dong, they do is it have like a bunch baseball? of arrays and everything. So, yeah, like, and and you could play that game and, and you could say, well, if, if they'd been in a different park, then maybe they would have thrown a different pitch or they would have put a different swing on it or something. Sure. You know, you, maybe you tailor your swing to the park to some extent or, or yeah. maybe not. Maybe it was just... The variability of the playoffs, and yeah, if they're playing that game in Yankee Stadium, maybe Theron Judge Ball goes out, and that's a go-ahead homer, and maybe the Yankees win. Who knows? But, well, that's uh, that's just how the playoffs work, and so... I guess, in principle, I'm okay with saying we got unlucky or they got lucky because, like, that typically is true. That is, like, how these things go. That is why you need so many games to actually reflect the team's true talent in baseball because weird stuff happens. Weird stuff. You know, the roof is open and the wind is doing something or you're in this park instead of that park. And, yeah, that can swing a postseason game and that can swing a postseason series. But what are you going to do? That's, like, it's done. It's in the books and you lost. So I think probably it it only inflames people's passions more. It makes you look like a, a sore loser or it makes you look weak in some way because you're offering excuses, again, even if they are somewhat legitimate excuses, right. at least in, in some cases. I mean, Aaron Boone could go out there every day and say, we don't have this guy available and we don't have that guy available. But obviously, like everyone's just trying to piece it together the best they can in October and, and hope that they get favorable bounces and that their yeah. fly balls carry. So,
0: yeah, it's funny. I like Severino's comments after the game didn't strike me as particularly whiny. Like I thought that was just an accurate description of what had happened. It is funny though for them to be talking about like the Astros' luck and you know if Framber Valdez doesn't fall down <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. and have two errors in in yeah. one play, basically. You know, who knows if the Yankees score at all. So, mm-hmm. you know, luck can cut both ways and benefit both teams, even if it doesn't end up benefiting them equally, right? Like you totally, can still be right. a beneficiary of luck. So And
1: there's also a difference. Like, yeah, you can hit a ball harder than another ball. That doesn't necessarily mean it's more likely to be a home run. I mean, right. it also depends on like the trajectory and yeah. the the angle and like, yeah. the spray angle and the vertical angle and all of that. So... You know, I think, again, like, Bregman's ball would have been out of, of more parks, so even if it wasn't hit as hard, he pulled it, and he pulled it in a direction where it's easier to hit a home run, maybe. Yeah. So So that's just—that's how home runs and batted balls work. Yeah. So I I guess you could say that in almost every game, there's probably going to be some batted ball that was hit hard that didn't go out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like the Yankees, they're just—they're kind of a patchwork quilt of a roster right now. Yeah. Like, They could certainly come back and win this thing. I mean, you know, they have Garrett Cole going. They're going to play three in New York now. They got Mr. Cortez lined up behind him. It's it's not like there's a weak spot in the Astros' rotation, but I guess it's a relative weak spot coming up. And Cole's been really great lately, and they could totally get back in this. Uh, Like I guess the odds would put it, you know, fifteen percent, twenty percent or so to come back from a a two nothing deficit to a really good team in a best of seven. Because as we have reminded people, you only have to win four. So the Astros are. Halfway there halfway. in the series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, We don't so, require
0: that they win the next two in order. No, it doesn't have
1: to. They can, yeah, any. I mean, they got five games to play with here, but yeah. they just have to win two of those. Just and two. The Yankees are, like, starting a different shortstop in every game. They're auditioning different relievers in every game. Like, it's you know, it's a good team, but they're not at their best here. And right. they're clearly kind of flailing a little and, like, let's see if Matt Carpenter will work. And, you know, like, let's just try to piece this together somehow. Yeah. And meanwhile, the Astros, they're just a machine. They just seem like a juggernaut. And yeah. you know, they're, they're missing players too, but the ones that they have— just so deep that it it just seems like they're much more collected than the Yankees are right now.
0: Well, and you know, their biggest danger seems to be from champagne bottles. So as long (laughs) as they steer clear of that, Mm -hmm. I think that they'll be in okay shape for our listeners who don't know what I'm talking about. Apparently, Lance McCullers Jr. got... Whacked is too strong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But he, he got dinged up with a champagne bottle after after celebrating in Seattle. I think it thunked. He got hit in the shoulder. I'm trying mm-hmm. to like I don't want to ascribe more force or any intent <laughs> to it, but he got hit in the shoulder or the elbow rather by a champagne bottle. And so now mm-hmm. he's pitching game four instead of game three.
1: Yeah, well, you won't have to worry about champagne again unless they win two more games, I guess. Two. So but not enough. They
0: don't have to be in a row.
1: <laughs> no. Just two. And you're going to get the prospect of a lot of games without off days potentially here, which is. uh yes, there something are no uh, off days. Yeah, no. And. And Jay just wrote something for Fangraphs about how the starting pitcher is, is kind of back in yeah. the postseason. Starting pitchers have been more effective and are going deeper into games. And yeah. I, I think I, I welcome that. I, yeah. I think there's some signal there that that's real to some extent. Sure. I, I also think that just, I don't know, I guess it's hard to untangle like is offense down because starting pitchers have been right. better or are starting pitchers staying in longer because offense is down? Like it's, it's just an offensive outage. And so if yeah. no one's scoring, then you maybe let your starter have a longer leash. And and also it seems like teams have not really had to dip into the back of the rotations much right. to this point. Yeah. And that that could change over the next week if, if we seems have a bunch of games to in change. a row. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so you're going to get your, your Clevenger starts and, you know, some other guys who are not the top of the rotation. Guard is going to pitch again like your guys that you don't expect to go right. as deep into games. And they just haven't had to do that thus far because, like, been a lot of sweeps or at least series not going the full length. And so you've been able to, in, in many cases, mostly rely on your good starting pitchers. So, So, yeah, we'll see if that holds up. But. I think I am fully on board with starting pitchers pitching more innings in the postseason. So happy to see it, however, it comes about.
0: Yeah. I think that, as Jay noted, and as we have talked about, like it's just. It provides such a nice narrative anchor to every game. And there are, Mm -hmm. you know, there are thrilling relievers. It's not like we don't see relievers come in and we go, wow, like, I can't believe he can throw that hard. I can't believe that he can spin stuff like that. I can't believe the break on that pitch, right? Like we have that experience of it, but I think that you feel like you're going to be able to settle in for something that is sort of coherent when you have a starter who's able to go six or seven. And, and, then then you really get to delight in those relievers cuz they sh- they present some kind of a contrast to the starter. So I just think it helps our our squishy human brains latch <laughs> on to something. <laughs> yeah. And then be able to sort of follow it through in a way that can be really satisfying. So that's good and then, you know, if we start to get back of the rotation guys for the Astros, we'll realize they're all really good also <laughs> and then, yep. you know. If people want to see someone other than them win the World Series, they might despair. But, you know, one thing at a time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder whether America is rooting more against the Astros or the Yankees. Like, yeah. if, if somehow neither of them could advance and maybe just like the Padres and the Phillies could play a, another series or yeah. like maybe they could just do a loser's bracket instead, of just like <laughs> bring back the Mariners, you know? Yeah. Like, bring back the Blue Jays. Like, people might be happier with that. Someone has to win this series, but I don't know who is more hated. Obviously, there's like a, a long standing hate. Right. ...toward the Yankees, but there's a, a more recent white-hot hate toward the Astros, so... Yeah,
0: it's interesting. I, You know, it's not like you don't expect there to be animus there. And I think there are some fan bases where the bad feeling will linger longer. Like, it's gonna... I don't know what you'd have to do to convince Dodgers fans not to, to hate the Astros, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's just gonna be kind of a permanent grudge. But it is interesting to think about it within the context of the actual roster... Because most of those guys are gone, but some of the biggest name guys remain. So it's not like, you know, the only guy left on the Astros roster from the. Sign-stealing teams is like a reliever you see sometimes It's literally Alex right. Bregman <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and Jose Altuve,
1: right?
0: And Guriel for that matter. So mm-hmm. I'm not surprised, but I, I am curious sort of what the half-life is going to be. And, you know, nobody has to like them. You don't have to. <laughs> there are far people dislike sports teams and and athletes for far sillier reasons than than the mm-hmm. science stealing scandal. So I, this isn't a finger wag on my part, but I am I am just kind of curious like how long it will go.
1: Yeah. And teams will be tested in ways that they're typically not in the regular season anymore with this lack of off days coming up because really like not only do starters pitch a lot fewer innings than they used to pitch, but relievers don't pitch really on like back to back to back days anymore. It just it's another way that managers and teams have backed off of yes. using pitchers. And Aaron Boone was kind of a trailblazer in that respect, really just like going entire seasons without using someone three days in a row. I, I think he didn't this season until using Wandy Peralta in like yeah. every single game of the division series. So they just, I don't know if they'll run out of arms or, or players just aren't conditioned to, to do this at this point. And they're going to be pushed to to do it now. And I guess that would be the one caveat maybe to what I was saying yesterday about Dan study about how there doesn't seem to be any special secret sauce in the postseason mm. is that we don't have that huge a sample, I suppose, of times since – really there was a clear disparity between the regular season and the postseason like yeah I think in the past yeah obviously like your your better starters would pitch more innings maybe proportionately than they do during the regular season but I think it's more notable now. And part of that is because there are more off days typically in the postseason than there often used to be, at least before the World Series. And so you really can concentrate your innings in your best reliever's hands and your best starter's hands. So maybe the sample is just too small still to see that there is some special advantage over and above just the strength of your roster to having a, a top heavy bullpen or a deep bullpen or a top heavy starting rotation or whatever it is. And maybe that. just would not be clear if you're looking at a a larger sample of postseason play it's just it's hard if you're subdividing it even more and looking at just a few years of postseason, then it's even fewer games and you're just not going to have enough of a sample to be able to make any kind of pronouncement there. But if you wanted to say that maybe the larger results are not reflective of how things work now, I guess you could make that case. But we will see whether the Yankees, whether all of these teams can actually cope with this schedule and, and push some players beyond what they've been asked to do for much of the season.
0: Well, in all likelihood, it will be sort of aberrant in its in its lack of off days, right? Because at least part of yep. what is, I mean, there is the the reality of having a three game wild card rather than the play in game, the single play in mm-hmm. game. But part of why we ended up so squished was mm-hmm. because of the late start, right? Yes. So in theory, next year there won't just be one scheduled off day on a weekend day. You know, mm-hmm. someone will look around and be like, well, that's rude. We shouldn't do that. That feels rude <laughs> to people. Yeah. We should get Halloween off. I think we should get Halloween off
1: then. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah. I've got a kid now. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, and also they didn't really build in a lot of leeway for rain or, yeah. or weather, which tends to be an issue in and, October and November. So, and
0: weirdly <laughs> enough, was an issue this October yeah, November. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a weird year. And, yeah. and generally- I like not having it be a completely different set of rules right, or schedule. I, I I like having to kind of dance with the players who brought you there, right, and and actually have to, like, use your roster top to bottom yeah. to get past your opponents. So I'm in favor of that. But it is sort of different from how many players are asked to perform in this day and age. Maybe we're we're past – I don't know. It seems like we're maybe past peak, like – pitcher usage shrinking and and starters yeah. pitching even fewer innings per start like at least in the postseason or or you know relievers just going fewer fewer outs and batters but i don't know like i still could imagine a scenario where we get to a time where everyone's just pitching three innings or like all the starters are pitching three innings and I hope to avoid that future by putting in limits and roster restrictions on how many pitchers you can have but in the postseason you're going to get something closer to that because it it just makes some sense
0: yeah it makes some sense but I think that there is a, a happier medium to be had And in a year where we have an on-time start and we aren't coming off of a truncated season and weird stop and start, you know, spring training stuff, it seems, I I feel like we can get back there, you know, next Mm -hmm. year I say that and then next spring we'll be swallowed by some horror, the dinosaurs (laughs) will be back, the sharks me on land,
1: but (laughs) we'll
0: have an on-time opening day though.
1: (laughs) Yep, that'd be nice. All right. Well, that's the only baseball since we last spoke. We are recording on Friday afternoon, so... Game three of the NLCS has not yet been played, right? But you can uh, hear our thoughts on that next week, and and even sooner if you'd like, if you want to sign up for our Patreon and join us for a, a live stream of Game yeah. four on Saturday, we will be doing that. Yeah. So I guess we've got a few emails we can answer. Maybe we should mention that there's been some manager news. Yeah. So Blue Jays officially anointed John Schneider yes. as their permanent manager, not their interim manager, but that's not the bigger. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) miniature news of the day. That would be that the Rangers have hired Bruce Bochy, Bruce Bochy back Bruce Bochy's back That's interesting, a three year deal I guess he just was not done He heard the call of the dugout And I guess he's uh, buying low On the Rangers, right? It's uh, a good time to get In that dugout, like a team On the come up, at least theoretically So he gets to look good If he can ride that ascendance And I would assume There's uh, some relation there with with Chris Young, right? Who is right. running baseball operations in Texas now and was managed by Bochi previously yes. with the Padres. It's gotta be a little weird, right? Like if yeah. you're a player who was managed by someone and now you're the GM or whatever his title is, and you're now that manager's boss, basically. You've like yeah. frogged that guy in the hierarchy, and now you're hiring him. Seems like it would be kind of awkward, but I guess not. I guess they concluded that it would work quite well, and maybe they had a good relationship. And how can you go wrong? I guess with Bruce Bochi, right? So it's interesting because like he was about to be elected to the Hall of Fame, yeah. almost certainly, right? Like I, I he yeah. was, I think, first time eligible this December. And yes, I, I think would imagine that's right. with his resume, he would have gotten in. Yeah, I would think so. He cannot, as an active manager, you can get in and then return, as Tony Russo did, but he is deferring his eligibility here, which is, uh, I guess that's kind of a flex. It's like, "Eh, I'll just, I'll get into the Hall of Fame later. (laughs) And like, there's nothing I can do (laughs) to spoil my Hall of Fame resume here, which is probably true. Like, you know, even if this were a disaster somehow, like he's won the World Series that he won. He's had the track record he has. I I don't think he could like un-Hall of Fame himself at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, gosh, what a spectacular crash and burn that would have to entail! I don't even know, absent like really abhorrent like criminal behavior, yeah, I some can't kind imagine of Kurt
1: Schilling pivot. <laughs> yeah, which
0: doesn't seem likely. Can, <laughs> but yeah, I wonder how candidly they talked about the potential awkwardness of the sort of shifting dynamic. I mean, hopefully, like if you're you know if you're ahead of baseball ops you view uh, the field manager as like a a partner in crime right even mm-hmm. if um not literal crime but like <laughs> you know you're you're collaborating in helping the team to achieve its goals and you're you're hoping to have a productive relationship among peers you respect one another and there might be technical differences in the hierarchy but you know i would hope that that's the way that most most folks in in Chris Young and Bruce Bocci's roles consider their relationship and sort of the goal of it but i do wonder how how candid they were like did they sit down and go so should we just get this out of the way now should we talk a- <laughs> about it you know it right. like i mean there are D- dynamics change over time, right? We all grow up and then we have to have adult relationships with our parents and those are obviously importantly different than they were when we were little and like couldn't I was about to say couldn't drive and that was going to feel targeted and I didn't mean it that way. You know, <laughs> yeah. weren't yet able to vote, sure. could not own property, you know. <laughs> that sort of thing. So uh, there there is precedent for for human relationships adapting through those sort of hierarchy changes, but I wonder I wonder how it strikes them and if it I mean clearly if they thought it was going to be a problem I would imagine that he wouldn't be managing
1: <laughs> Yeah but so with someone who is his age and his experience level, like we saw, obviously, you know, Joe Madden was uh, unable, unwilling to adjust to yeah. this new world where the manager is the middle manager. And again, perhaps he had some valid complaints with the Angels. Sure. We don't know. But we don't know. it does seem like if you establish yourself in an earlier era where the manager did have more autonomy yeah. and now you're getting a new job in a new town, as David Bowie said, and, and everything has changed. And so... You know, he came in in the mid-90s. Yeah. That was a far different era. And even yep. when he was with the Giants, that was maybe like an older school organization, right? At and, the and time, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and he had experience in standing. And so with someone like that who dates from that earlier era, they might have certain expectations. They might expect to preserve those things. And if Bruce Bochy is going to come out of what was assumed to be his retirement and riding off into the sunset and getting into the Hall of Fame... I don't know if he has like demands or conditions like, hey, if I do this, are you going to fill out my lineup card here? Like, you know, are you going to chastise me for pitching moves? Like, yeah. let's, let's get all of this out in the open. Yeah. I wonder whether it was obviously like the Rangers were interviewing him, but I wondered to what extent he was interviewing the Rangers, just right. being like, what kind of dynamic are we yeah. talking about here? Right? Like, if you're going to hire me, are you going to hire me just to be the push button manager who's following orders? Or do you want me to be the more old school? field general that I used to be, which worked out quite well for my teams at the time. So we'll see. I guess we'll see. But they could have gone with one of the younger guns here. Like At the same time, there's been news about other managerial candidates who are interviewing with lots of teams, right? So predictably, it's the bench coaches for the Rays and the Astros (laughs) seem to be the the most in-demand rookie manager candidates. So Matt Quatraro of the Rays and Joe Espada of the Astros. And those guys have interviewed with a bunch of teams for years now. Yeah they're interviewing with other teams now. And I would guess that one or both of them will will get one of the remaining vacancies. Uh, It just seems like they would be the obvious picks for if you're a team that maybe can't lure uh, Bruce Bochi. Although, I don't know, maybe he wouldn't have thought that the Rangers would would be that team. I just think that like the Rangers, we've talked about this, they had a 15 and 35 record in one run games this year and they they were not a great team regardless but if that's even just an even record that's a a whole different complexion to that season yes maybe they're not even hiring a new manager maybe chris Woodward's still employed maybe john daniels is but Really, like I think I could manage the Rangers and they would probably have a better record in one-run games next season. (laughs) They might really be a disaster in other ways, but I'm pretty sure they would win more one-run games. So in that sense they're primed for the good kind of regression here, just on top of whatever other abilities Bruce Bochy gives you, I think they will just have better luck. Again, they're not necessarily coming out and making excuses. They're not saying, we had a terrible one-run record, and that's largely dependent on luck, and that's why we were so bad, but I'm making that excuse for them. (laughs) So maybe that was partly due to personnel, but I think probably a lot of it was just really lousy luck, and that is unlikely to happen again.
0: I love how the results of the minor league free agent draft were what they were, and you're like, I could definitely manage. <laughs> I'd say I could
1: sign good players. Just <laughs> <laughs> you
0: just know what to do with them once they were on the field. That's fair. yeah, that's fair. Totally, yeah. yeah. You know, okay, fine. But you know, a friendly amendment to my in my prior statement I get it now I
1: understand yep. anyway nice to have Bruce Bocci back I, I'm sure for Giants fans it's a it's a little bit like you know dad like you have a new family now like what, <laughs> what is happening here like <laughs> I thought that you were dad gonna... met a
0: nice lady and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got a new home can yep. I um tell you about the most embarrassing moment I've had as an Italian-American because it involves sure. Bruce Bocci okay so Bruce Bochy, and I I wonder now if he will do this, but before he was hired by the Rangers, he had been announced as the manager of Team France in the World Mm, Baseball Classic.
1: Yeah, he was born there. Yeah,
0: Yeah, okay. So you knew that. I mm. thought Bruce Bocci was Italian, and I realized, I was like, why did I think that? Like, did I hear him tell a story? No, Ben, it was because Bocci and Bocci Sounds son like Bocci. sort of similar. <laughs> yeah, right. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so glad my great-grandma's not around to hear that story, because she would be so embarrassed for me. Uh, She'd say I can't make pizzas at
1: Christmas.
0: Anyway, story about me being a dummy.
1: That is funny, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's uh, most of the baseball news that has happened since we last spoke. So I've got a few emails here, maybe one or two playoff related, some not. So Chris wrote in to say, long time listener, second time writer. I've been thankful for your detailed explanations of how many games a team needs to win in this new <laughs> format with Best of Three series.
0: Uh, encouraging us <laughs> is such an interesting choice.
1: <laughs> it really helped me through some difficult, confusing moments. So. Glad to help, Chris. Someone (sighs) wrote in to to say that they'd actually like legitimately been confused or or their partner had while watching a game about how many games had to be won. And I apologize for not covering that topic more thoroughly. We should have explained in even greater depth. Anyway, Chris (sighs) says... In light of the Dodgers' quick exit in a short series after a historically strong regular season, I'm sympathetic to the idea that we got robbed of seeing the best teams for longer in the playoffs. I'm a Cubs fan, by the way. My thought, which I could see Manfred getting on board with, is that the length of the playoff series is backward. Make the wildcard round a nine-game series, Hmm. then a seven-game series for the division round, then five for the championship series, and three or even one for the World Series. Some advantages. Number one more fan bases would be invested in the playoffs. Good for the game. Good for TV revenue, I assume. Two, more likely that the best teams can win a longer series and the gatekeeping effect is earlier in the playoffs. Three, the best teams that can wrap up an early round in five or six games in a nine-game series would get some off time, which effectively can work as a buy, allowing the best teams to reset their pitchers for the next round. Four. By the time we get to the World Series, the gatekeeping would be perhaps high enough that it would really be the best team surviving that far. That's sort of the same as number two. Number five: <laughs> the World Series could be a massive cultural must-see event like the Super Bowl. Mm. If it was a single game, mm. I imagine MLB would love this sort of. Attention,
0: so i see a couple of issues here. <laughs> okay <laughs> well i think the first is that and i applaud all of the very clever and creative attempts that our listeners have have made at making the postseason sort of more representative of the regular season but mm-hmm. i just unless we're playing Much, much longer, like much, much longer, many, many more games. We're still not going to get there, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's always going to be this sort of insurmountable gap unless we want the MLB postseason to mirror like the NBA or NHL in terms of its duration, which I don't think – we have a tremendous amount of appetite for. And I would imagine that the sports appetite for it is probably limited too because I'm sure they're aware of where, you know, sort of how long they can ask even committed baseball fans to pay attention when, you know, you have the NFL going and the NBA starting back up and all this stuff. So there's that piece of it. And I also think that, you know, one of our concerns for the playoffs and how they interact with the regular season was wanting teams to be sort of heavily incentivized to win as many games as they possibly can so that they have advantageous seating so that they get time off and and whatnot. And while I appreciate that like nine games potentially for a wild card round is like a lot of time for – you know, the Dodgers or the Astros or whomever to get to hang out and kind of get their guys healthy and rested and whatnot. I think that if you are asking the higher-seeded teams to play fewer games where presumably the variance in any given series is getting, it might even get higher than it is. And certainly if the World Series is determined by one games, I wonder if we're flipping the incentives sort of on their head in a way that we wouldn't like. Because Mm -hmm. now you're saying to a division winner, well, you have to play even fewer games and you could still be a world champion. And that Mm -hmm. strikes me as being maybe not the ideal set of incentives to put before teams. So yeah, I think that that's... That's the problem. And then if we go even deeper into November, like, you know, you think people are complaining about win now. People are just complaining about win for <laughs> weeks and weeks, potentially. Right.
1: So, yeah, I think a, a winner take all single game for the World Series, it would be a huge event. Like, yeah. would it rival the Super Bowl? I guess probably nothing would at this point. But right. I think that really, like, you're probably getting more in terms of revenue and eyeballs in a longer World Series yeah. because. Even if it's artificially drummed up that the World Series matters more than the previous rounds, like that is how everyone understands it to be. That's the ultimate goal. And so you're not going to get as many people tuning in to watch a best of nine wildcard round as you are to get a best of seven World Series. So I think the later it gets, the more just built in tension and and the higher the stakes are. And so I, I think probably the networks would say this is the opposite of what we want. Yeah. Right. Even if you'd be building it into an even bigger event still with one single game, it would be hard to replicate what you're getting in terms of revenue and attention over a best of seven series. So yeah, yeah I, I think people would probably tune out a best of nine wild card rounds, even if it did ensure that you might have better teams playing later in the postseason, but that is not necessarily something that makes people more interested in the postseason right. as we've discussed. Like yeah. Whether it should be or not, it, it just doesn't seem to be. Like, yeah, if the Dodgers were in it just because the Dodgers have a big fan base Maybe more people would be watching than are watching the Padres. Let's say, no offense to the Padres. I'm happy to see the Padres get to be in the series. Yeah, but I do think that yeah, people would not be so into the the earlier rounds when people care less. Yeah. However artificial a construct all of this is. Yes. You're really concentrating more games in lower stakes series. Probably. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that's
1: right. Okay, question from Myth, Patreon supporter. This is not playoff-related. Let's say a warlock curses you, an average human being with average human athleticism, to play shortstop for a full season in the majors, just fielding, no hitting or base running. The warlock does feel a little bad for you, though, so they do grant you the preternatural ability to know exactly when a ball is going to be hit in play and the exact location you need to stand to field it perfectly. Assuming you know exactly where the ball is going to land, but are otherwise just an ordinary person, what kind of defensive stats could you put up? At what point would analytics people start to notice, could you win a gold glove this way from voters who only look at fielding percentage? So whether it's a warlock or you have just the most (laughs) accurate positioning charts imaginable, you always know that the ball is going to be put in play and you know exactly where it's going to be put in play so you can stand right there, take your sweet time. The question is, can that foreknowledge compensate for your just being an average person and having an average person's ability to actually glove a ball and complete a play, even knowing exactly what you have to do in advance?
0: Well, it would definitely help.
1: (laughs) It certainly (laughs) would help, yeah.
0: Because I have maintained that one of the there there's like a just a bushel of ways that I could embarrass myself if I were put on a big league field. But I worry that one of the ways that would get like web gemmed the most would be me looking around for the ball uh-huh. <laughs> and looking in the wrong place. Mm. This is one of the most impressive things about catchers. They they you know when they throw their mask off, Ben.
1: Yeah that's they true They know
0: They're like yeah. "Oh, I gotta throw it And get it out of the way So that I yeah. can go And I would I would get no, that on ground.
1: your Twitter profile pic You always have the mask on you Yeah take it off. Well that's yeah.
0: You know That's for privacy <laughs> Yes um, So <laughs> So It would help a lot To feel confident That I knew Where the ball was going I don't know That it would change My instinct To duck Out of the way Of the ball Yeah
1: Yeah right <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think that I think that I could work on that, though. I think I could Mm -hmm. get to a point where I would feel more sure that I would not end my workday with a broken nose. (laughs) I think I could work on that. Yeah. And I think I could probably... Work on my arm strength some, mm-hmm. but you know I'm not gonna end up looking like Popeye. You know, there's just some natural <laughs> limitations to to my average lady physique. So I think it would help some, but I would still probably be a below average fielder. I think that the the arm strength would be. I mean, I guess it sort of depends where you're gonna be, right?
1: Oh, shortstop. Yeah. We know that. Shortstop, That's part right. of the question.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I would. I think the arm. Strength component of it would do me in. I think that would Mm -hmm. be a real problem.
1: Right. Yeah. As someone who has had their nose broken by a bad hop. Yeah. (laughs) That that bounced off a a tree root. I feel like I could speak to this from, from some experience. But yeah, like it would be pretty terrifying to face Major League exit speeds Oh my
0: gosh, yeah (laughs) Whether you
1: know where it's going or not Like in a way it'd it'd be even scary if you know where it's going Because you'd be like I guess you could prepare, you could back up a little bit But if you back up then it's an even bigger Problem arm strength wise Yeah. So yeah, like the question was not Necessarily how would we do But how would an average person do And the questioner did not do us The the, the discourtesy of presuming Whether we would be above or below average So we're just talking about an average person I do think that the throw would be an issue for the yeah. average person. Now, yes. are we talking about like the average person who has had some baseball experience? Like it's an average person with average human athleticism. I don't know that that person can make the throw from shortstop like periods. Right. But I don't think especially like with a big league runner going right. down the line. Right. With an average transfer speed Right, Like, you know, you can Practice, you, you can take a zillion ground Balls and, right. and that would help And you wouldn't have to worry about your range So much and your, your First reaction and, and all of that So it would just be how reliably can you Not have this ball clang off your body Or go through your legs or whatever Like, how many bruises Would you sustain during the season I think that this person Cursed or blessed or whatever we're saying By the warlock, I think they would still be quite bad yeah defense at a major league level yeah like they'd be better they could complete some plays perhaps as opposed to like very few yeah but yeah like it really would help because like let's say you know it's gonna be a a slow roller like you can play in if you you know it's gonna be a pop-up into no man's land like you can play back so really it it does help a whole lot not to have to run anywhere, not have to gauge where the ball is going to go. That strips a lot of the skill required out of playing defense. And yet, even so, to be able to glove it cleanly, make the transfer cleanly, and... The throw, the throw is because arm strength. Like you can improve arm strength to an extent. Yeah, but but <laughs> yeah, not to as great an extent perhaps as some other. <laughs> well, skill, and it's so. like
0: maybe you get it to the point you can hurl it over there, but to do that with accuracy and right timing, like oh gosh, it would yeah. be. Are you like? Is the warlock gonna check if you're? Is the warlock watching every game to check that you're? <laughs> Because, like, you could be a really good bench coach.
1: Mm -hmm. You would be
0: like a really rocking bench coach.
1: Yeah. Now, I think if you gave like any major league fielder this ability,
0: oh my gosh.
1: Even if you gave like, you know, Kyle Schwarber this ability, like pick your not so great defender here. And even if you stuck them at shortstop, like someone who doesn't typically play shortstop, I think they could do it because they could throw and most of them like they could field a ball that is hit right at them fairly reliably oh yeah so it'd be interesting would this person get the gold glove or like would you just assume that they were cursed or blessed by a warlock and like would, would all the credit go to the team for its positioning this player so accurately or or when the team said no we didn't tell him to stand there he just yeah. he stood there then I guess you'd give all the p- credit to the player and like does this player know about other batted balls and where they're going to go and can they position the rest of the team to do that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know maybe it just applies to, to balls that are hit directly at you and and then like if, if you know where it's going to be hit anywhere on the field at least before shift restrictions then do you just run over there and just right. like just stand in front of someone else or, or do you tell them where it's going to go I don't know I think for any big league player even like a DH I, I don't know like could you put Nelson Cruz out at shortstop with this foreknowledge and have him be a, a playable shortstop I think maybe you could but for a an average person I still just think the throw from short that's just it's going to be an impediment cuz like not only yeah. do you have to get it over there you can't just lob it right because right. like players run pretty fast so by the time you lob it over there and just like throw a pop up over to first base they're just going to beat that out anyway even if you didn't have to run to the ball so right. i just i still think you would probably not be playable the average person
0: Yeah, I think it would be probably be a little disastrous.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. Let's go with a more realistic scenario here. This is Jason, Patreon supporter. Would it be viable for a team to sign a hypothetical 75-foot-tall batter (laughs) who could run from base to base in a single step? (laughs) It would not be viable in that no such giant exists, to my knowledge. But if one did... Would that be viable? I, I mean, this reminds me, in, in episode 1847, I, I cited an old article from 1951 where Bill Vec, after signing Eddie Goodell, his next move, he, he wanted to sign an eight-footer. He wanted to sign a giant. Because he thought that an eight-footer would be as much of a problem for opposing pitchers as a three-foot, seven-inch player sure, was. Sure, yeah. And if there were a 75-foot-tall batter runner, it is true. I, I guess they could just sort of, uh, well, they'd have to stand at the plate. I, I mean, they wouldn't be able to be contained by the batter's box might be one issue. So they, right. they might just be an automatic out. But if we give them special dispensation for that, it's hard for me to imagine a 75-foot-tall person making contact and not just having it be hit like an infinite distance.
0: (laughs) Well, and imagine the size of your strike zone. It would be a nightmare to call the thing.
1: That's the thing, right. And also, like, how long would it take this person to swing is the other issue, right? Like, now their strike zone would be so huge and it would be so high because if they're 75 feet tall. You need like a...
0: Uh, like how you, high is
1: their knee? And, right,
0: you need a giant umpire.
1: <laughs> yeah, you'd almost need a giant umpire. Like, nothing could be caught with this giant because in order to throw the ball in the giant strike zone... You'd probably have to throw the ball into the stands every time, right? It would just like go over the backstop (laughs) because you'd have to basically throw like the ultimate Ephus, like throw a pop-up essentially just to get it in the strike zone. But if you could do that, I just, I wonder how long it would take a 75 foot tall person. Like what's the wingspan on this person? Like how long does it take for them to swing? And does it take so long that they could not possibly make contact if you were able to throw the ball with any pace?
0: Well, I don't think they'd be able to make contact because, re- relative to their size, the ball is tiny. Right. Yeah, the ball yeah. is just tiny. It would be hard to to see. You'd need a giant pitcher and a very big ball. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, if all of those conditions were satisfied, it it would be an advantage that you could just uh, make it to first base in a single bound or a single stride. I guess if, that would be good. But, but what but. if
0: what if he stepped on the first baseman?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, is there a rule against that? I mean, you, There's you a might rule murder against a lot murder. of people. <laughs> but they can't help it. It's manslaughter at, at worst. They're just, I mean, they own the, the baseline, right? It's, it's it's defensive interference. You're under the, the giant's giant The first baseman's foot.
0: existence is not <laughs> interference, Ben.
1: <laughs> Once you establish the baseline, I, no, I, they don't boy. fit in the baseline. Anyway.
0: They, they would fit anywhere.
1: No. How right. would they
0: get into the ballpark? Yeah. They'd have to like step and like over
1: the yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: How how You'd would have to it to
1: airlift them in?
0: Yeah. How would it work? How would it work in the trap? How do you get them into the trap? What happens <laughs> when true. they scrape their head on the walkways?
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. The catwalk. Yeah, they need yeah. special
0: ground rules just for them. I think that, you know, look, we can figure we could figure it out with the Moleman, but Mm -hmm. I don't know about the 75 foot tall.
1: No, you can go underground, but this high above the ground, this might be a problem. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think it's viable for any number of reasons. Yeah, (laughs) and
0: I don't, look, I don't wanna exclude people, but I think that there's a genuine safety issue there. Like what if they step on somebody?
1: (laughs) Right, yeah.
0: Think how traumatic that would be if you're, I mean, you think the guy temporarily looking like he might drop his baby is bad, like watch (laughs) out. Ben, can I share something about my neighborhood for Halloween? Mm-hmm. There is a house down the road that has the 12 foot tall Home Depot skeleton. Uh-huh. They also have a 12 foot tall, like, pumpkin horror man. <laughs> and I've never been more jealous of anything in my entire life.
1: Yeah, it's not overkill to have no, both of those things. It's, it's
0: just... 100% overkill. It is the definition of overkill, but <laughs> I am still very jealous. <laughs> yeah.
1: I guess if the the seventy five foot tall person were a pitcher, their release point would be quite advantageous because the ball would be on top of you, as they say, but literally. Yeah, so. but
0: but couldn't that also hurt you if it were dropped from seventy five feet up and then it bonked you on the head? <laughs> Probably. I don't think yeah. it would kill you, but I think it would hurt. I think, <laughs> you know, I think we would need to build new ballparks for the Giants to mm-hmm. play
1: in. Yeah. You'd have to have the roof open in in minute made for sure, and Aaron Boone would not be happy about this,
0: yeah, and what and you know what what does he have to say? He basically has two giants playing yeah. for him right now. they're not seventy five exactly. feet tall, but mm-hmm. they look like they come from a baseball planet.
1: mitch patreon supporter says if you were an MLB hitter, which do you think you'd be more embarrassed by swinging at a pitch that went extremely wild mm. or swinging at a pitch that then hit you?
0: mm. Oh, that's a good question.
1: Yeah. Hmm. It's a strike either way, but I think I would be more embarrassed by I guess the extremely wild, I think, maybe. Because oh, really? sometimes it does like add injury to insult yeah. if you swing in a pitch and then it hits you. Yeah. But also I think it could hit you without being As wild as what I'm imagining Sure I guess it depends on how wild it is So if we're talking about a pitch that's so far outside That it is farther from the strike zone Than the pitch that hits you That's I guess like the the swing decision The plate discipline here Is maybe more embarrassing to me Like what was that Was it Profar who, who swung at that Pitch in the postseason, I'm thinking of a pitch that was like incredibly distant. It was like it bounced and now I'm forgetting who swung at it. I will look it up. I'm sure many millions of listeners are are shouting out the name wherever they are listening to this. But in my mind, that might be more embarrassing than if it's like a pitch that just had nasty movement and it was like started inside but not way inside but then it, it just like was in on your hands and, and yeah moved more like sometimes there could be a pitch that hits you that like actually started out in a reasonable location where you might want to swing in it so i think if it were like way outside or way short and i swung wildly i might be even more embarrassed by that than i would be by getting hit and i
0: guess if you get hit yes you're embarrassed but our natural instinct as as folks watching is to feel sympathy for you because yeah. you've been hit even though you maybe looked a little silly because you swung mm-hmm. at a thing that hit you mm-hmm. so maybe that tips the scales cuz the embarrassment sort of dissipates more quickly but i guess it sort of depends where it hits you cuz maybe right. i mean maybe the embarrassment dissipates immediately because you're just feeling terrible because you've been hit by a pitch and it hurts <laughs>
1: Yeah. It was Profar, by the way, so that's wow. good. I didn't slander someone. <laughs> it was it was Profar against the, the Dodgers and he swung in a pitch that was like, gosh, I don't know, forty five feet <laughs> maybe. Wow. Yeah, it was uh even Javi Baez might have held up on that one. So I think that is my answer, but both are bad and both are embarrassing, and I guess at least only one leaves you with an ouchie, so that is yeah, a point but- in favor.
0: Yeah but you know Some bruises Ben You don't (laughs) see them
1: But that doesn't mean They're not there Yep Leave a bruise on your psyche (laughs) All right Question from Chris. I attended the Padres at Mets game on Friday, July 22nd. Before the game started, there were four separate first pitches. Whoa. This wasn't a group of four people doing a first pitch. It was four separate people, each with their own separate PA announcement that they were doing a first pitch. It does not seem possible to be the first pitch when other people have thrown out a first (laughs) pitch already. I would also feel like my first pitch was devalued if I was not actually the first of the four. Am I being unreasonable?
0: No, I don't think so at all. That seems Mm -hmm. like a lot. Like, I don't think it's unusual to have like two ceremonial first pitches. And one of them maybe involves like, they seem to fall into two categories. Like, either it's a corporate partner of some kind, or it's someone who has been afflicted with a terrible disease. Like, those Mm -hmm. seem to be the sort of groups. And then there will be, and, and sometimes school children. And sometimes those school children are also athletes. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they are school children who are associated with either a corporate partner or someone who's had a terrible disease. Yes,
1: hopefully not. But yes, sometimes. Sometimes.
0: So there's like that group. And then there tends to be the like sport figure first pitch. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a person who used to play for that team. Sometimes it's like, you know, a sports figure from that city who plays a different sport. And like, that seems fine to me. You know, you can have two. But four seems like a lot. Like, what is... What are the circumstances under which there need to be four?
1: Yeah, I don't know who the four were. That's like twenty minutes, (laughs) right? Sometimes they'll do it simultaneously, so they'll they'll have a few people like set up like a a first pitch firing squad almost, and they'll just like all and you'll have multiple catchers, right? And if it's that, if it's simultaneous. And so you're one of the first pitches, but all the pitches are are happening concurrently. I think I would not feel slighted and cheated by that. I guess the spotlight is not solely on you, but still, at least it's at the same time. But if it's sequential, then Yeah,
0: (laughs) diminishing returns. Though I will say, you know, if your first pitch goes badly – and you're sandwiched in between other first pitches. Your odds of that of being embarrassed for a long time kind of go down. But that's yeah, you're true. right. Like sometimes it'll be like, here are the four best teachers from the state of New Jersey, and they <laughs> right. like, throw a pitch, and then you're like, I hope everybody's doing okay and not yeah. like hitting catchers and right. stuff or like that.
1: A, a few veterans from some team that's being yeah. celebrated will, yeah. will be there, throwing out pitches together. Here
0: are the state champion pole vaulters from every division. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I bet they're accurate I bet mm-hmm. both Walters would make for good pitchers I bet mm-hmm. their accuracy is high I'm terrified of being asked to throw a first pitch I don't think it'll ever happen because who cares about me doing that but mm-hmm. I'm very afraid like when Mina Kimes threw yeah. out a first yes. pitch at the Mariners game she did great but I was mm-hmm. like absolutely not I waited to tell her that, but I was like, you're brave. I would not do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I threw out a first pitch at a Sonoma Stompers game, which is a little bit different in terms of (laughs) the pressure and the fans in attendance. I still, like, I basically blacked out. I don't remember anything. It went fine. It went well. I think I threw a, a reasonably accurate pitch. But I don't really recall much about it i know that it happened but i just like basically didn't form a memory of it because it was like oh boy this is happening this could go badly if it had gone badly it probably would not have gone viral because i don't think anyone was actually recording it which was definitely a load off my mind
0: and and like i you know i know we just spent several minutes detailing the many kinds of folks who throw first pitches who are not in fact baseball players but like why would anyone want me to it just doesn't feel like a thing I should do. You know, I like write about other people doing that. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a thing I do. But no one has asked me, so why do I why am I worried about this, Ben? <laughs> do you remember when they had us sign baseballs when we did the Staten Island Yankees event like oh, twenty yeah. million years ago? Mm-hmm. And I think at the time I looked at the PR guy and I was like, Why? <laughs> if you want me to sign a baseball? I don't throw this thing around. I don't catch yep. it. Like I would be terrible at that. And you know, it wasn't it was a nice thing, but I was like this is awkward. It gave yeah. me a lot of sympathy for ball players actually having to like sign balls for kids and you know <laughs> the the autograph hawks who like haunt the fall league. I'm just like, this is like an awkward surface to write on.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> Got to have the right type of pen. All right. Michael, Patreon supporter, says, I was listening to the Tigers-Mariners game on October 5th, and after the Tigers tied the game in the top of the fourth inning, as the broadcasters were talking at the start of the bottom of the fourth inning, they described it as, quote, a whole new ball game. Mm. While I agree that if the home team ties a game going into the next inning, it is as if the game is 0-0, I think it is not a whole new ball game when it is tied going into the bottom half of an inning because the home team has one extra chance at bat mm. than the visitors do. A whole new ball game implies equal odds, but the extra half inning must tilt the odds in favor of the home team, so it cannot be a whole new ball game at that point.
0: <sighs> well, I guess that's technically true.
1: Yep. <laughs> the best kind of true. Yes.
0: But I get the spirit of the of the sentiment, right? I get the I get the sentiment that they're trying to express, which is like Sure. they were ahead before, and now mm-hmm. they are no longer ahead, which doesn't mean they can't push ahead, but right. they are no longer ahead. They now have to score runs in order to win, whereas before if they just managed to prevent runs, they didn't have to score any more runs, right? <laughs> yes. So I get I get it. I get the objection, but I think Mm -hmm. this one is okay. Because, you know, your mandate has shifted Mm -hmm. to include a whole other activity that you maybe thought you were done having to do.
1: Yes. I do agree with Michael It's not a I wouldn't say this is a A huge broadcaster error I wouldn't bat an eye At it probably And, and I'm sure I haven't Until now that Michael Has brought it to my attention But I think He has a point here Yeah he is, uh, He's correct It's not really a new ball game It's not pure as the driven snow It's not a new virgin ball game Where someone's throwing out A first pitch <laughs> Their win expectancy wise It is uh, tilted one way Right and and Michael makes a, a fine point here. I don't know if it was a necessary point, but it is a fine point. <laughs> I agree with it in principle.
0: <laughs> Everyone should let us know if they feel like this segment is getting too antagonistic. <laughs> Just let us know. Like, cause I think that people understand we might say, no, I yeah, don't agree. Well, but you People know. don't want us
1: to be too easy on the pedantic questioners right. either. Because if we agree with everything, then, then we'll be too kind pedantic. Of, well, yeah, so, then what
0: kind of pet- pedants are we Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's still a hard word to say.
1: Last question. Cameron says, given all the discussion of stadium names on the show, I wonder if you've ever considered what it would take for Effectively Wild to get naming rights somewhere. My thought is the Low Miners or Indie Ball might have some affordable options or as a journalistic enterprise, would this create untenable conflicts of interest? Mm. Interesting. 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 Effectively Wild Park. Yeah. Mm. See, I would feel pressure if we did that for the park to be weird and wacky in some way. It, and it we'd have to throw out a, a first pitch. we were, yeah, probably have to throw out a first uh-huh. pitch too. No go for me then. No. no. But Pass. we couldn't just take some standard park and call it effectively wild park, it would have to be a weird park in some way. So maybe one of the weird parks we've, we've talked about it at times, like there was a a time where like weirdly configured parks was a running bit on the show. And we talked about weird, like amateur parks that just had all kinds of obstacles and odd dimensions. So if we were to approach like a high school team or, or something that had just a really weird park, and we said could we call this Effectively Wild Park they'd probably say no it's named after like our longtime coach and pillar of the community or something but (laughs) but if we could for some reason persuade people to do that then I'd be okay with that or if we found some very low minors or indie ball team that was willing to go along with this for whatever reason I guess that would be kind of fun if it were a team that we had no conflict of interest we could root for a team at that level but it would have to be weird it would have to be Effectively Wild in some way I wouldn't just want to Slap the name on it I would want to Have it be indicative Of the qualities Of the park In some way
0: Yeah I think it would It would require A degree of Sort of Organizational control That seems Beyond our means (laughs) (laughs) Yeah
1: (laughs) I'd really I'd want to Build the park From scratch To my Odd Strange Specifications Preferably And I don't know that we're going to have anyone who will come along and invite us to do that. But who knows? That's how the only rule is it has to work happens. Sure. Someone reached out and was like, hey, you can use our team to run your strange baseball science experiments." So maybe someone will reach out and say our naming rights are available and we would like to give it to you, the podcast, so that you can promote our team on your podcast.
0: Yeah. And see, that, that part would be would be tricky for this. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Right, because, you know, we don't, we don't do much in the way of sponsorships and such other than our, our stat head sponsorships. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm open to it. It'd be a, a cool little honor if someone wanted to do it. If some, uh, some coach out there is playing on an unnamed little league field and wants to rechristen it effectively Wild Park and put up a little plaque, please let us know. We will, we will mention that on the show. <laughs> Maybe we'll even come out and throw a first pitch if you want us to, except Meg. Meg will not. No, I might. will not. Yeah. No. All right. By the way, there was also a report from John Heyman, I believe, that Dusty Baker will be invited back to manage the Astros in 2023, which, again, doesn't seem like it should have been in question, but was for a while. Weirdly, there were reports circulating about how he might not be invited back. Maybe making it to a sixth consecutive ALCS and not having lost a playoff game thus far has solidified his standing there. But one way or another, it seems like Bruce Bochy will will not be the, the oldest kid on the block. Hopefully, Dusty will be back if he wants to be. He will at least have the option to be.
0: Well, that's something. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So we can end with the past blast. And this is episode 1919. And so our past blast comes from Jacob Pumranke and also from 1919. Jacob is Sabre's Director of Editorial Content and Chair of the Black Sox Scandal Research Committee. And we're up to the big year that people do Black Sox research about, 1919. And so the heading for this one is Suspicious Minds. So Jacob writes... As the 1919 World Series got underway, the fact that eight Chicago White Sox players were conspiring to fix their games against the Cincinnati Reds was a poorly kept secret among baseball insiders. But very few people had the courage to speak about their suspicions publicly at the time. One who did was Cleveland manager Tris Speaker, who had an up-close view of the White Sox all season long as the two rivals battled for first place until late September. The future Hall of Famer was hired to write a guest column for the Cleveland Plain Dealer after each game. When the White Sox were blown out 9-1 in Game 1, Speaker immediately called attention to all the mental lapses he saw the White Sox make on the field, writing, Well, the Cincinnati Reds today beat the Chicago White Sox about as badly as we generally beat a Republican candidate for office down in Texas. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is a pass blast. All right. <laughs> You bet it was a surprise to me, for I was betting that the Sox would grab the first game, and when a man bets that way, he generally thinks it. That's true. You know, when you have money riding on something or even just your reputation at stake, like, you do kind of convince yourself that you're right, or at least you, you root for it to be true. The Sox that Cincinnati walloped today did not seem like the same Sox who beat Cleveland out of the pennant. The Chicago team that led us to the wire had Eddie Seacott working like one of the greatest pitchers I have ever seen in action. The Sox who showed us the way played smart ball. If the Seacott who pitched against Cincinnati today looked like the Seacott who beat us so often during the American League campaign, then I better quit center fielding and go to pitching myself." Speaker spent the rest of the week criticizing the White Sox in specific ways for playing out of position, missing cutoff men, and getting thrown out on the bases. He expressed his astonishment and disgust at their miserable display of strength. In private, Speaker was even more pointed, warning his friends not to bet on the series and even telling one reporter, did you ever see these White Sox pitchers groove the ball for us the way they have in this series? There's something phony about it all, but Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. It took another year after the fall of 1919 for the full truth to come out, but Speaker and others could see what was happening from the very first game. I wonder what it would take nowadays for people to come out and say that a team was throwing a game or accuse a team of throwing a game. that's a serious charge to level. I feel like you'd
0: have to feel very sure.
1: Yeah, right. And and teams just have bad games all the time. So I feel like my inclination probably would be to downplay that possibility and be like, hey, everyone has a, a bad game. And like, how could you even, could you prove it? Like, I, right. I guess if all the pitchers were were throwing below their usual velocity or something, or if they were grooving every pitch, like, I guess in a way we could quantify the game throwing in a way that might have been tough to do in the past. So we could just quantify, like, how many meatballs are they throwing and are they throwing slowly and are they not swinging or something? Or we would have, like, you know, root efficiencies and, and play probabilities that we could marshal to support the idea that they were playing so far dramatically below their usual level that something fishy must be going on. but. I don't know. You'd have to be cautious, obviously, just like from a a legal perspective of like accusing people of of doing that. And there might be suspicion floating around like (laughs) gambling is about as big a thing in baseball and sports betting as it is now since it probably was a century ago. Yeah. So maybe some of the incentives are are there and that might make people more suspicious. But I don't know. You'd you'd have to really have a a garbage few games probably. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean – People on Twitter or wherever i 'm sure would would be just spouting off these accusations. They probably already are <laughs> when teams have a <laughs> backing. But you know,
0: it's it's not always the same evidentiary standard we would, like, <laughs> see in a courtroom, put it that way.
1: Yeah, right. But for responsible members of the media, right. such as uh, Meg Rally and Ben Lindberg on right. a, a podcast like this, we'd have to have a, a more measured tone unless we really had our, our ducks in order and our facts straight. Right. So I guess we could point out – how anomalous it was yes. that this happened or that happened, right? And yeah. at the very least, if, if someone were throwing much softer than they typically throw, like you'd either say, well, they're either not trying or or they're hurt or something, right? Like when we see pitchers sometimes who come out not throwing as hard, yeah. that becomes a thing on baseball Twitter and everyone yeah. shares the baseball savant velocity graphs and is like, uh-oh, and what's wrong with this person? And, and right. players get asked about that after the game. And you could probably detect that much more easily. I guess in a way, it'd probably be harder to pull this off than it was back then. yeah, for for various reasons. I, I guess like, I mean, for one, you'd you'd have to offer the players a lot more money than you did back yeah. then to convince them to do it. But also, Now you have just like 4K cameras everywhere and you have players who get caught using sticky substances or at least strongly suspected of of doing so. I guess cameras wouldn't necessarily be helpful if you're just trying to prove whether someone flubbed a play on purpose or not. But just because we can quantify everything about your effort or at least like how much energy you're expending here, if you're not running hard or you're not throwing as hard or you're not swinging as hard – we would know that. We would know what your baseline is and we would know that it's like completely out of the, your normal range, right? And yeah, in the past you might have said, well, it doesn't look like he's putting his, his full effort into it, but you couldn't necessarily have, have proved it in the same way. So I think it probably would be harder to, to get away with now if you were like completely out of the normal range for these various stats.
0: Yeah. Although, you know, it took us a while to find out about Houston. So it
1: sure did yeah. You know, it
0: doesn't mean that there aren't other means of and granted, like <laughs> they were trying to throw games, they were trying to right. win games. Yes. But it doesn't mean that there isn't subterfuge that can take a while to be detected. But I think you're right that like, especially for actual media members, they're gonna want to really know what they're talking about before they level mm-hmm. accusations like that. I mean, we might speculate about on this show about like somebody pooping themselves, but we sure. wouldn't. We wouldn't speculate about them throwing a game unless we really knew that they were doing yeah. that. because that's you know that's serious business. And to be
1: fair, Archie Bradley admitted that he pooped himself. Yeah, right? Like did. that's that's why you did your investigation. You right. would not have suggested that. Yeah, I didn't he watch Archie Bradley necessarily. Right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't
0: watch him and go. He looks like he has a tiny amount of poop in his pants.
1: <laughs> right. That wasn't my
0: instinct watching Archie Bradley, which oh. makes him sharing it all the more amazing. Because it's like you could have you could have sat on that. <laughs> figuratively <laughs> hopefully not literally for the rest of your life
1: mm-hmm. no one would have known yeah <sighs> yeah but I, it would be a lot easier statistically speaking statcast wise to yeah. detect a lack of effort than trying to win in some nefarious way yes. right like having heard the bangs right. now with the banging scheme right. we might think why didn't we hear those bangs at the time yeah. <laughs> but you couldn't actually detect it in the data really right. So and and often many studies have concluded that they didn't even derive an advantage necessarily from it. And you can't even really tell from looking at the stats that they were doing this necessarily. And even if you could, it you'd think that they were just better than usual. Right. So if it were a, an effort issue, then I think it would raise red flags much more quickly. So don't try it, evildoers. Don't try to throw any games. We'll be on the case. Twitter will be looking at Baseball Savant. We'll be on to you in no time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe maybe the way you throw the game is to eat something that you know disagrees with you, and then you poop yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, And you're, you're f- like,
0: I can't play. I have pooped yeah, myself.
1: Possible deniability. Yeah.
0: What can I do? Mm-hmm. Who hasn't I mean not me, but like not since being a child, but who hasn't <laughs> eaten food and been like, well, got a little crummy tummy? Sure. We haven't mm-hmm. had to play nine innings. You don't know.
1: Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I guess on that note, <laughs> it's as appropriate a note as any to end this podcast on, on a Friday. <laughs> uh,
0: Friday show. It's nice when it oh, it's nice when it's loose. That's a terrible follow up. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway.
1: Okay. That will do it for today and for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. Of course, you can listen to us a little bit more this weekend if you'd like. You just have to be a Patreon supporter at the $10 a month level or higher. We will be chatting with Patreon supporters in the Effectively Wild Discord group. All of our Patreon supporters are eligible to join the Discord group. Some of them will also be able to listen to the live stream during NLCS Game 4 on Saturday evening. Hope you can join us, and grateful for those of you who have supported the podcast and continue to. You help us stay ad-free, help us keep doing the show the way we want to do it, and the way you want us to do it, hopefully. And you also get yourself access to some perks. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going. Scott Kramer, William123, Brian Hamilton, Jason Bersani, and Joe Rospars. Thanks to all of you. Again, perks include access to the Effectively Wild Discord group, which is a wonderful place, particularly during the postseason. You also get monthly bonus episodes and these couple of playoff live streams, one of them during this round, one during the World Series, plus discounts on merch, ad-free Fangraphs memberships, and more. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com group slash You can contact me and Meg via email at podcastoffangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you are a supporter. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. You can rate, review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. Thank you as always to Dylan Higgins for his editing and production assistance. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. We will be back to talk to you if not during the live stream, then early next week.
0: On the south side They wait For shoes, Joe say hello to them On the north side They wait for Mordecai to come outside and sign on the ground Somebody listen Cause nobody cares that the Black Sox are playing today <laughs> <laughs> Somebody listen
1: if somebody cares But the colleagues are playing